Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I am authorized to assure you that so far there is no reasonable cause for alarm. The rumors of invading armies and mass destruction are based on hysteria and are absolutely false. I repeat, these rumors are absolutely false. Welcome to Thought Speak, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of K.A. Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell. And tonight we are happy to present a book that uh, Coleman has apparently read a bunch of times before, but I had never read, and I have always been very excited to read. And lo and behold, I think I was uh, rewarded for this. <laughs> it sounded for a second there like you were about to introduce Masterpiece Theater. Uh, PBS, sponsored by people like you. That's basically what this one was, because I'd I'd heard of a uh, tales of alien brain surgery happening, but uh, I I just didn't think it would be uh, quite the payoff that we got. I really, I think I, sp- I think I spun those tales for you. Did you? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, leading up to this one, I I built up that scene a little bit. Regardless, uh, uh, they, there could have been a lot of cop-outs in this book, and I feel like there weren't. But we'll get to all that fun stuff. We are talking... I think I think there's... if you, Since you brought it up, I think there's one cop-out, and I'll, I'll mention it when we get there. Sure, sure. But this <laughs> is, of course, book number 29, uh, The Sickness. Ooh, ah! <laughs> You're going to keep doing that until you get it perfect, right? Every episode? We're going to reference it somehow, just so you can do that? That's just how I'm going to clear my throat from now on. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, great. Well, I mean, I'm, I was, like you said, I've read this one before. This is one of the, you know, besides the beginning books and a few of the megamorphs and the end of the series, this is one of the random ghost-written books that I had, and I'd read over and over and over again. So I knew exactly what I was getting into with this one. I didn't even have to read it again for this podcast. I did anyway. Um because I remembered it so well, but I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about it. Thanks for taking part in uh, your your podcast host <laughs> duties. I could have skimped them this time, but I still didn't. I actually read it in one sitting. Did you? Uh, something like that, yeah. I believe it was like one four-hour sitting. Hmm. Well, uh, I'm, I'm definitely ready to get into it. So let's waste no time, and I want you to start us out uh, hitting up this cover. Oh, yeah, lovely cover here. Just uh, the old pasty, crappy-looking brown clouds in the background, which uh, I'm sure is representative of, like, uh, the Yerk Pool and just being down there and all that drab. I actually think it's one of the better ones. Something about the color scheme, it looks it looks more like a modern book to me than some of the other ones. I mean, with the rainbow one of last week, that was a little rough. Uh, for some reason, I thought this one, her, her outfit and everything, it looked like they were um, trying something different. I think it paid off. I actually yeah. really like the cover. Uh, not bad in terms of like model pose and stuff. And plus, it gives us our, our first like official artwork of the Yerks, um, which I, I just want to call out. Like, what the hell is going on here? Because these look, you know, greenish, yellowish, uh, uh, and they're always, always described as gray slugs mm-hmm. and in my mind what i literally pictured because of how they wrap around your brain and stuff i literally pictured like um 
like the Pokemon Ditto, just gray. Like a non-shape, rounded edges, and no like eyes or anything, just just a gray blob. Well, now here's the thing, though. I, I actually really, really dig this uh, uh, official artwork for the Yerk. I think it looks as grotesque as it really is. The only thing I think that takes it a little too far is the really dumb, like, it almost looks like a pig nose. Like, if you look on the cover of your book, Cassie keeps her nose basically all the way down to the bottom page, and then it just looks like it's oh, yeah. <laughs> got this weird human-y pig nose on it. Um, <laughs> and, and that part's kind of strange. Uh, so I figured the Yerk is, uh, you know, the, the length of your pointer finger, maybe, and it looks just like that, and it's gray-ish and able to flatten its body down completely, like a tapeworm well, or something. According to this cover... Um they're the size of uh, small alligators. <laughs> okay, so the the size is not uh, clearly <laughs> representative of, of to scale here. No, no, no. But I I always thought there was something scarier with what I pictured, just not having any features on it. Just a, I mean, not even slug looking. I know it's always described as like a slug, but I still always pictured just a just a little blob, almost like you, you couldn't tell where the front or back was, and it just slithered around and moved and flopped and. You know, I always thought that was pretty scary, but it's not my book series, so here you go, artwork. Well, I I go don't think they did my too childhood. bad a job. How about the uh, the caption on the front though? Cassie is about to make a change for the better. Um, you know, as far what does as, that mean? As far as those uh, these front cover ones go, this one could be passed off as a, kind of a generic one, but it does make a little bit of sense because this this book does give us, I think, some good Cassie growth. I thought it was just basically like the the marketing team had given up and joined the uh, the Yerk propaganda force. And they're like, <laughs> she's changing into a Yerk. Looks good on her. It's possible. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, the inside cover uh, artwork is at least the most relevant I think they've done yet. It is. It is cool. Um, although it, it is kind of ridiculous to me, the idea that a Yerk can be... Uh, isolated and captured in one of these cages um, when they can completely flatten and compress and basically liquefy yeah. their bodies. Well, in the in the in the book, it's um, it says that the the cage is too small for it to get out. Like they're it's tiny little. Yeah, I know. Wires. It's it's very quickly glossed over. They didn't want to talk about it, but <laughs> I'm just saying. I think that's a little. Uh, yeah, if you think about what they have to get through to get past that just, make sense. The, just the bones in our ears, they can get incredibly thin. So, although it does say I was interested um, when Cassie turned into a yerk, one of the best parts is her talking about going into the ear canal, and it says they they do some destruction when they go in. Um, they they rip and tear skin to get past a lot of stuff. Right? So. Yeah. It's oh, I love uh, I love the descriptions. Uh, anytime we get more like Yerk lore and biology, uh, mm-hmm. really interesting stuff. Um, the author wishes to thank Melinda Metz for her help in preparing this manuscript. So that's so uh, who was the writer of the last book? Uh, it was not Melinda Metz. I can tell you that. Okay, but to keep track of that now. Um, but I mean, <laughs> really, for for all the uh, you know woe and warnings we got about the ghost written books i mean we're, we're two for two on this one at least no two and in a row, that yeah exactly good. that's the thing uh i i was like 
right off the bat, I was like, okay, how are they going to, how are they going to hook me? How are they going to top the, the beginning of the last book, which had me hooked, you know, in the first two chapters, uh, first 10 pages, I was engrossed in acts and everything that he was doing. And, Mm -hmm. and by golly, they, they figured out a way by setting this first scene here at this, uh, uh, high school dance where we get yeah. it from Cassie's perspective, and you know there's been some some romantic tensions building between her and Jake over the series, of course, and especially over the last couple of uh, books. And now we get a little bit of a payoff here, and these kind of scenes are just awesome. They're they're tons of fun where we get the characters getting to act natural for a change and like enjoy themselves. You know, it's great. Marker gets a great line where he. Um where after Jake says, hey, let's do something normal, uh, Marcus says, okay, now that you've said that, every time we try to do something normal, it gets nasty and weird. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And like I was about to say is, uh, you know, they, they scenes where they get to the enjoy, enjoy themselves are great, but they don't last very long because, of course, something's always got to go wrong. Conveniently, it happens, you know, within eye shot of one of the team members. Um, and in this case... Uh, because they have decided to bring Axe to their school functions and try to get him in on this date. And he's got a lot of great lines, by the way, when he's uh, being hit on by this girl who uh, earlier uh, Cassie and, and Rachel make a scene out of. Um, just a lot of good stuff, honestly. Just <laughs> him screaming about her trying to take his body uh, is just makes the book right there. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, come to find out, though, I mean, Axe is delirious. Whether or not that weird dialogue had anything to do with him becoming delirious and sick, probably not. But <laughs> no, it sounds like this is basic. I mean, he basically has um, appendicitis of the brain, uh, whatever the andalite equivalent is. It's it's a center of the brain that just I guess it keeps them pretty healthy, but it can build up. It's like it's like a confined immune system that stores dangerous, you know, pathological diseases. And uh, if it gets too big or if I guess something goes wrong, just like your appendicitis, it could be, you know, not as useful anymore and it can go wrong and uh, you got to get it taken out, which is probably super easy. Just the fact that Cassie was able to do it, it must be easy on the Andalite world and and pretty mundane. But uh, for a bunch of teenagers and specifically one teenager, it gets rough. Oh, hey, you know what? Before we get into this huge explanation about what the sickness is and and everything that's happening here in the beginning, uh, we didn't read the beginning uh, or the back of the book, my friend. Oh, it's your turn. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was I was excited. You know, I was excited to start talking about this book, and we just jumped right into it without even. Okay, so here it is. Got a care in the world. <laughs> For those of you who are interested, still, we're we're talking about the sickness, Animorphs number twenty nine, and here's what the back of the book has to say. Uh, Please don't leave us. <laughs> something is very wrong with Axe. He's sick, and the Animorphs don't know what to do about it. They can't take him to a hospital. They don't know how to contact the Andalite homeworld. And Axe is dying. They never even considered contacting the Andalite homeworld, I don't think. Mm -mm. (laughs) Anyway, Cassie and the other Animorphs come up with a plan, but it involves finding a new way into the Yerk Pool. There's just one problem. Jake, Rachel, Tobias, and Marco come down with Axe's sickness. And now, for the first time, Cassie is on her own. A, it's not the first time. A character in this book (laughs) who's important is from the book where Cassie was on her own for the first time. 
Not to mention the countless other battles where Cassie's been on her own for the first time. Exactly. And 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 right now, Cassie's on her own at the school dance for the first time. <laughs> Until she meets Jake. Uh, which, yeah. Which is um, it's good. We get to see a little bit of a, a romantic payoff between the two. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice anytime they acknowledge their feelings. It it eventually becomes too much of a Ross and Rachel thing where it's like, oh, come on. They're teenagers. They would be trying stuff and trying to get together a little bit, you know? <laughs> um, it's, I don't know. It's They've got a weird relationship. But, I mean, I guess with the stresses of war and all that, but you think that would just push things along faster, don't you think? Like, pushed into adult situations, they would just, they wouldn't care about people knowing they were together they just it seems weird maybe i don't know they don't have anything to hide they're not into any of that tobias rachel bird play (laughs) (laughs) i don't think they're hiding it either (laughs) (laughs) not exactly because tobias is there uh he's hanging out and i always uh dig uh the other team members views of him and especially in his human morph where they have to comment like, you know, he's forgotten how to use emotions because hawks don't, they don't have facial expressions or anything like that. So basically, Tobias <laughs> has become a badass because uh, he's just like doesn't notice things, doesn't you know, uh, give away his emotions, doesn't wear his heart on his sleeve anymore. And it, it's interesting because he this he went to this school. He used to be picked on in the school, and he's just like owning the school dance, um, being perfectly normal in it. So. Just took, you know, a few years as a hawk to, to pull it off. <laughs> and and not only that, um, he's dancing with Rachel, you know, one of the prettiest girls in school. Uh, he, he's probably wearing that cool leather jacket from the, the series. <laughs> Cover art. <laughs> <laughs> oh, from the series or from uh, book number three. He's got a sweet jacket on in that one that turns into wings. Oh, uh, in the yeah, cover. but the, no, that's not the it's not the cool like outfit they uh, they decked him out in. On the no, show. in the TV series, in the TV series, it looked like he was wearing his dad's old bomber jacket or something. It was totally <laughs> something a nerd would wear. It was a gift from Visor Three in his in his uh, <laughs> female morph, <laughs> in his uh, cousin Linda or whatever her name was. Uh, Visor's got some weird morphs. Let's just keep it at that. Um, anyway, let's get back to this. This disease, Yamfoot. Is that how you're pronouncing it? Yamfoot. It sounds like, honestly, it sounds like a Hebrew word. I like that uh, we're both just assuming the pH is silent. Yamfoot. (laughs) Yamfoot. Um... (laughs) <laughs> well, I, you celebrate your young foot yeah um, <laughs> he doesn't tell him that he has this until a little bit later because it's like it's actually a, a big ordeal to get him out of the school and and this is what's really cool though is um there's there's a known controller chapman we finally get a little uh interaction it's like remember chapman <laughs> he's yeah. also there um and then you know somebody else is hanging out with him you assume it's a controller until uh it's, it's mr tidwell he gets Cassie alone, and it reveals that, you know, he's with the Yerk Peace Movement, and Cassie's just hit with, like, this whole other dilemma all of a sudden. I love these two scenes back-to-back, because the, the Chapman scene is actually really tense, because, you know, Axe is going crazy, and they're trying to make a good excuse for it, and they're trying to lie well. And yeah, he blah. can't control his morphing in front of them. Yeah, and they don't know what Tidwell's doing, or who he is, or whatever. Then once Tidwell re- reveals himself, 
Then it goes into like a comedy scene where Tidwell's trying to talk serious about this York Peace movement, and Axe's legs keep shooting out of his chest and breaking the wall <laughs> and the, the water fountain. And yeah, it's it's, it's very uh, it's all over the place, really. But it's very dramatic and very tense, and and uh, it's like a, a thrill ride. Like you want to keep reading. Yeah, um, but they do get him out of there, and um, they figure out a plan to. Um, to basically have Eric help them out because Eric owes them like 17 favors at this point, just from the last three books. Um, That's right. <laughs> and so Eric's going to stay in Cassie's bar and, and, and project his hologram and, and uh, help keep Axe in sick form uh, safe from her dad's prying eyes. Yeah. She's got a, she's got a boy in the barn. Um, you also <laughs> we didn't get into this. You forgot to mention that, uh, the the York Peace Movement right now is mainly concerned about delivering this message to Cassie that uh, Visor 3 is about to begin his interrogation of Aftran. And, you know, if this happens, uh, the team's pretty well boned uh, because she knows literally everything. Because if you recall, uh, this is uh, Aftran, the York controller that uh, showed up in the body of Karen, who uh, spent a nice the young girl book with uh, Cassie? I actually went back and listened to our uh, review of the departure. That old, yeah. Uh, how, how do we do? How do we do? Uh, I was moderately entertaining, I guess. That's all. That's all I shoot for. I've heard better episodes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's interesting because it says that Karen, um, since that book, has chosen. Even though she's part of the York Peace Movement, she's chosen to not have a host. So she's kept up her end of the deal. Uh, with Cassie, which is interesting, because she she didn't seem super trustful in the departure, even after she broke down and got emotional. You'd think when she got back to the Yurks, even if she's helping the peace movement, she'd be like she'd be able to justify having a host that she's helping. You know, as much as she loved having a host and not being in your, her Yurk form, uh, it's interesting that she followed through and and hasn't had one since that book. Yeah, I just think it's interesting that Visitor Three has apparently waited this long to carry out the uh, interrogation of Aftrin. Well, it could have been a recent, he could have recently found out, like, she could have messed up in relaying something for the York Peace Movement, and now they've got her. Because I don't think necessarily the events of Book 19 are what caused her to become suspicious in the York's eyes. I mean, one thing this book drives home is that uh, Aftron always felt like she, you know, was kind of at the mercy of the York. She always had to go back to the York pool. But they have portable Cantrona rays, or portable York pools, yeah, but uh, like those the are ones, probably like the very ones high that level. were at the uh, 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 doctor's office in book, uh, like yeah, six but or those seven. Are, those are probably highly, Five. those are probably highly uh, maintained and documented because you could have rogue yurks all over. The, that's like the biggest thing the yurks have to keep everyone in line is that they have to go back to the yurk pool. So I bet those are highly controlled. Uh, technologies, the portable Kondrona rays. Oh, sure, sure. And but, you know, on I'll, top of I'll that, you take... don't know if those need to be charged up or, you know, anything else. Right, right. But all it would take is uh, this York Peace Movement to grow, uh, like, let's say, 10 to 20 members strong. And just in whatever free spare time they're given, uh, yeah, hijack one and stash it somewhere. I think hijacking one of those is, is a declaration of war. Um, probably the, I mean, that, I'm, that I'm would sure be, Visitor be a 3 much won't, bigger deal. wouldn't appreciate it well right now they're just a ragtag team of people who disagree with the main Yurks which can be controlled I don't even think Visitor 3 would necessarily kill them all for just disagreeing with taking hosts and stuff but 
once they steal something that important, uh, it would be all out. We have to exterminate all of them. Yeah. Which, that's pretty much where they're at with interrogating Aftran. So. Democracy don't fly with the Yerks. I was going to, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was going to go get political there for a second, but whatever. Don't um, bother. Um, I was also about to weave in uh, something about Rogue One there, too. So you just, I'm all over the place. Oh, yeah. You're, you're just barely hanging on with your tangents tonight. Pretty much. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I will say, though, um, the, their team, uh, the, plan that they come up with here was something that I just didn't see coming at all and I I was really surprised and I enjoyed every minute of it when they come up with the idea to do their eel morph like slip and slide through the water tower system yeah that seems like impossible to me like even if they're on point with knowing which even if Axe was there and could tell them left right left right left right or whatever um no, the idea yeah, of that's them all—the <laughs> idea of them all being able to do it in sync and to remember everything and, and get to where they were trying to go—absolutely impossible. So I'm glad this didn't pay off, and it did fail. Oh, um, it, it, the payoff was uh, great, though. I loved, I loved where they came out. They ended up shooting out of a fire hose into a burning building, and that yeah, was so awesome. un- that was so unexpected and. Uh, I actually really appreciate that they didn't get that easy win of, oh, we were we were so lucky as to be able to flush ourselves down through the tubes into the Yerk pool. Um, yeah. And this plan, it's really it's a really bad plan because, like they said, it, it could have ended up them in just, you know, a toilet that needs to be flushed in an abandoned building, you know, where they would just sit and die because they oh get sure, or the or get stuck in a clogged tube and not be able to like move backwards or anything. Yeah, it's, it's and a horrible it, plan. like they say, get stuck in eel morph. Probably yeah, one of the, the biggest worst things. The biggest takeaway is that Jake gets sick from this, and it starts this cascading uh, flu symptom sickness throughout the entire group, where they can't, you know, once they get it, they're out. They're not part of the mission anymore. Yeah, exactly. So it's like the team starts dropping. Axe was just the first. Um, it's great. Marco, the, you know, using the nursery rhyme, five little monkeys jumping on the bed. It's perfect. <laughs> right. Yeah. He does that. Um, and, you know, this book is also cool because we get this scene like where uh, Cassie is at school and she realizes that, you know, Rachel is also missing and she calls her house and finds out that she's sick. And uh, we got Mr. Tidwell, or uh, his name's Ilum. Ilum, mm-hmm. which looks really weird on print because it's uh, capital <laughs> I. It looks just like the two small L's. Um, so it just looks like a nonsense word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Technically, it is a nonsense word. but I guess so. It's a sci-fi name. <laughs> it can be anything. Anything can be a sci-fi name. Yeah, but no, it's a great conversation, and I, I love... You can't tell if Mr. Tidwell's talking or Ilum. You just kind of have to trust him, which the Animorphs shouldn't have that much trust uh, at this point. But he could have ratted them out or killed them at any moment. So I guess, you know, take it with a grain of salt and just hope it works out. Well, I really actually uh, really like this character of Mr. Tidwell because um, this, this is one of the first characters we see that uh, actually claims to enjoy uh, being like bonded with a yerk, 
um, who he I thinks think is good company. And yeah, I think he's better than. Um, I think he's even better. I mean, we've only seen one other Yurk who's, you know, nice or you know, not part of not part of the Yurk Empire and wanted to dominate everybody. And that was Karen. And Karen was a great character for that book and made that book great, but a little unrealistic how quickly she turned into a good person or a good guy. Um, with just you know what happens. With well, Kathy in that book, you didn't necessarily bond with Karen as a as a person. She yeah, was, she was just a host body to Aftron. What's different here about Mister Tidwell is that he's got a little bit of a backstory, and this is rad. Um, he he mentions it himself, like uh, my my wife left me. I got laid off. No, and she died. His wife died. Whatever his sad backstory was, uh, <laughs> I, I ate it up, Coleman. I loved it, and <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he's like, you know, having this yerk kind of like come in and and take charge of my life for me has really helped me. <laughs> and, you think somebody depressed who can't handle their situation is overwhelmed? It must feel nice to have somebody just do it for you. Oh, exactly, you know? exactly. And I, I started to think like, man, in this like post. Uh, book future society uh, that could be a totally viable uh, business venture it's like <laughs> are you like too depressed to go about doing your life well have a yerk do it for you <laughs> or just have a yerk and switch off oh dishes need to be done i'm zoning out for a while <laughs> popping in my yerk <laughs> he's like i'm just happy to experience color Ooh, <laughs> ooh, his dishes are shiny he's playing with the water like a toddler would <laughs> hey get back to work oh this is what i swim through oh <laughs> <laughs> gets out swims around the sink for a little bit gets back in <laughs> that's so weird all right um, that was a dumb tangent that's uh, what we have to offer here at ThoughtSpeak. Uh, but yeah, you mentioned uh, Marco's analogy of uh, the monkeys jumping on the bed. And no sooner that he says that does he like express symptoms and then like he's out. So it's a really, it's really this cool book is a, scene, it's, it's a domino effect of everybody's <laughs> quickly being knocked off it's the a funny, team. It's a funny written scene too because he's... Um, Cassie's talking about how he looks disgusted at the idea of something he's talking about and he's making contortions with his face, but it, it plays it really well until he goes over to the bushes and throws up and it's like, oh, he was doing that because he was sick. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess that's uh, one way to interpret it. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that's how it's written. It's not the interpretation. Hey, um, you have your way of reading these things and I have mine. <laughs> the words meaning normal things. Um, but it's really cool because uh, Cassie just right off the bat is uh, pretty set on having to morph a yerk here, and I just I just think that's such a cool concept. I think it's something that we've waited for since the uh, the very first book, where you think, oh my god, they can morph anything. What if they morphed a yerk? You know, somebody thought about it on that first read through of book one. And it had to be Cassie too. That's what works about this because um, yeah, right. The, the, he, the them, humanitarian of the group had to be the one to experience it. Yeah, but I mean, also just the fact that um, the rest of them might not have thought the idea because it's too crazy. It's too out there, and uh, the Yurk is the enemy. Yurk's bad guy. I'm not going to turn into one. They, they'd be too afraid to do it, or or someone like Axe would just be too disgusted. No, with the Rachel idea of being would. A Yurk. Wait, Rachel would go uh, grizzly and just like. 
tear shit up and probably like yeah, try and rip the Cassie, tumor out of Axe. But Cassie, um, because of the information we get from Book 19, because she sees Yerks as just another sentient species and not necessarily the enemy, she's the only one that would think perfectly normally, the most efficient, the best way to do this, just go Yerk. So, I mean, it, it, because it's informed by another book, it actually makes it really, uh, really smarter um, than it needs to be. So, I appreciate well, that. Well, I, I think Yerk is uh, a morph that they should take more advantage of in future books. <laughs> as far as well, I, I mean, know, if you can morph, doesn't. I mean, they won't morph people, but you can't really take advantage of that unless you have, for them to morph Yerk, they would have to have a willing host because they're not going to turn into no, what dude, they're fighting they could against. No, dude, they could just have Cassie <laughs> morph Yerk and then literally just like run into their, in, in their mission, they could run right in and like shove her in security guy's ear and then Cassie would be like, I got you, I got you covered. Go, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if that would work as well. But uh, uh, I mean, if they're going to go that far, they might as well just start morphing humans. In which, oh my gosh, would solve ninety percent of the animal. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I, if if they did that, they'd have to change the title of the books to like the the people morph biomorphs biomorphs. <laughs> which I'm okay with. No, people are animals. We're all animals. Everything's an animal. Dude, biomorphs make sense because biomorph they morph, they morph all actually... life forms, and it it, it, it would be B. Uh, it would start with a B, so it would be right after Animorphs. I'm, no, no, I'm, I'm going to give that to you. That's actually a really good title for a sequel series. I like that, too. That's, let's, uh, you just let's, came up with that Let's spot. pitch it. We, we're going to have that pitch. I cannot wait for that episode. <laughs> That's how we're ending this series. I can't Gosh. wait for it either. Uh, I'm going to have like a 70-page outline done by then. So we just keep adding to it. <laughs> um, yeah, and, you know... This this book really uh, starts to fly once this like sickness starts spreading through all the team members, and yeah, um, for some reason, as well. Oh yeah, back. as soon as as, she, as soon as she gets back uh, after finding out Marco's sick, that's when Tobias is like flying around doing his security rounds and he falls from the sky, and you know it's great. We get, we even get moments where <laughs> she's like, uh, everyone's sick now, dang it! And Tobias, I don't have time for you. I'm going to treat you like a bird. She shoves him in a <laughs> cage in a and it's like, Let's her dad, uh, take dad, take care of Tobias. <laughs> She's lucky that Tobias didn't try to thought speak her dad. In his I know that's stuff. what I was thinking. Is like she should have left him some instructions. Don't you dare start talking to my dad. Well, maybe he did, and Cassie's dad is just like, I'm not going crazy. I'm not going crazy. <laughs> if if uh, Cassie's dad goes missing for the next couple of books, we'll know why. He he's at a, uh, a therapeutic retreat, <laughs> just spending way too much time with birds. You know, that's that's a thing. Um. <laughs> But no, no, so, so everybody's sick at this point. She has no help. Just like the back of the book call, told us, she's on her own for the first time. <laughs> first time ever. <laughs> um, and, and I love that um, this, there's a scene where she runs into her uh, house and talks to her mom and asks for uh, books on, on brain surgery, animal brain surgery, for like a report that she's doing. And her mom gives her some stuff, and she's like... Okay, see ya. <laughs> and then she actually thinks like, well, this could be like the last moment I actually talk to my mom, but I can't even do anything about it. I can't make a big deal about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, they, they go on a lot of missions, but here. they go on a lot of missions, but I think anytime they go back into the York pool, they, those aren't just close calls. Those are, we got out of here alive by sheer luck. Every single time they go down there. Right. This is like, 
I we've been kind of breezing through this plot here, but um, in, in terms of like scope and scale, this is like a really really serious plot because at this point, uh, they're basically terrified that they're all gonna die. <laughs> even yeah. though even though uh, it, it only seems fatal in Axe's case, because uh, he's actually got the exploding trio gland. Um, well, he does, but if Aftran talks. She talks about who the Animorphs are, that they're humans, the York Peace Movement. Everybody loses if she talks. Sure. And through so that, through I that, guess... you lose the free hork I don't know, the Alimus might be in trouble. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's definitely bad things uh, involved if Aftrin gets interrogated by the Vizier, of course. Um, just the the other teammates being sick is not so much like a life-threatening thing as it is. Just it kind of removes them from the plot. And the, yeah. the the mission, which is unfortunate but, for Cassie, because yeah, like you said, trips to the Yerk Pool suck major ballage, and yeah. to do that on your own, you gotta have major ballage, and Cassie so, does. So this next scene is actually really great because <laughs> um, she goes to Tidwell's house, and you know they're initiating the plan, and it's just this great scene of. Tidwell, I mean, you know, he's not an animorph. He's not used to these situations. No, he's like a regular dude with a a regular Yerk dude in his head, so he's not necessarily the the authority in this situation. And Cassie even mentions it's, like, weird for me to be leading him around because he looks like the adult in the situation. Yeah, and Ilum's Ilum's terrified. Mr. Tidwell's terrified. Uh, You know, they trust her, but... Still, at the same time, I mean, to to have to, as Ilum has to survive in a bowl of water. Yeah, no, a, a little baggie. He puts him in a little plastic baggie. baggie. Yeah, no, in his pocket. Sorry. <laughs> and um, um, and it's so cool uh, as as Cassie morphs Yerk for the very first time and uh, actually just takes over a human body and uh, does the most mundane thing of like getting in a car and driving down to the McDonald's. And this is this is what I appreciate too is the fact that they put him in a baggie and put him in their pocket. This is something I think a lot of writers, especially writers who didn't start this series, like a ghostwriter, uh, could totally miss out on the fact that it's not good enough for him to go down to the Yerk pool and just drop Cassie into the Yerk pool. His Yerk has to go into the pool too because they keep these things on a schedule. And so he would starve to death if he didn't get to go on his three days. you know. So they had to slip him in as well so that it would all work. Sure, yeah, um, she was basically really clever. a stowaway. Yeah. I guess, so. you know what, she could have just morphed Yerk and and ridden the baggie. I mean, she didn't need to go inside the person, I guess, unless she was going to do something different. Well, I guess that was sort of the whole point, was that uh, uh, they were giving her the host body, so to speak, to do as she pleases with down there. Yeah, because she, she probably, part of the deal, you're, you're not going to... As an anamorph, you can be trusting to a point, but you're not going to get into a baggie in a strange morph and be in the hands of Yerks. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly exactly that's a little too much. But anyway, I like them bringing back the McDonald's and the uh, you know Happy Meal with extra happy. That's oh yeah, sweet. yeah, it's still not a problem to get point. into one of these Yerk pools. And uh, uh, we had a, a comment from somebody earlier who mentioned uh, we should talk more about the Gleet biofilters since they made a big deal about them, especially in the last Here's book. Here's the weird thing. So so in the last book, we saw that the Gleet biofilters um, can't scan flies in the nose of a cow, yeah. but, it can, but it can sense a yerk in the head of a human. 
Right. Well, because they're already pre-programmed to sense uh, yerk and human uh, biosignatures. But if it can, if it can sense those are the those are the okay ones for it to allow. But if it, but if it can sense the yerk inside of a human skull, surely it can identify a life form in the nose cartilage of a cow. So uh, they, they're being a little inconsistent with it's this it's flimsy. <laughs> it's it's flimsy logic. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna try and defend it. Um, the technology in these series kind of works as the plot requires, and uh, you could blame if that you wanted, on the, if you the to get, grade that they're writing for. Or if you want to get fanboy geek about it and explain it, maybe the slaughterhouse Gleep biofilters are running on a outdated uh, software versus the ones that protect the York pool, which are probably much more prominent in security. Sure, you could uh, always work in excuses. <laughs> yeah, but um, but it works. She gets in, and um, I, I, it talks about the defenses more of the York pool. It talks about the biofilter. talks about the hunter-killer robots. Yeah, um, we get a lot which, of which cool book, callbacks to, to which just book all was the, the hunter I don't remember which book the hunter-killer robots in, were introduced in. That was in, in uh, the Rachel book where they morph bats. Um, I thought that uh, might have been the case. The underground. The first time they go through the, uh, the McDonald's, right? Uh, it might have been. Shh, that was a war. I just that remember. Was, that was like two years ago, I think. Well, I, I remember making the cover art for it, and the cover art has a McDonald's on it. So I think that's the right one, the oatmeal one. Ye- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Anyway, she gets in. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not even a problem. She's in there, and you know we get the same old uh, callbacks to things we've seen before. There's, there's of course, uh, construction equipment because they're always expanding the the York Pool area. Terrifying to think about. Um, the screams uh, from the people awesome in Horkpajir and cages. Yeah, exactly. And then there's the cool like chill area where the uh, the the voluntary hosts are like hanging out, and it, it really paints all of them as like kind of bad people. But I, I am constantly reminded of people like uh, like Mr. Tidwell, who yeah. maybe they're not necessarily bad people. They're just in a bad place in their life. And accepting the Yerk um, is just, you know, their way of getting through this. And they're not necessarily like, stupid people. Well, it's they even, should just even. accept it and watch watch reruns of Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people could even be part of the York Peace Movement, like Mr. Tidwell. Mr. Tidwell is probably considered a voluntary host because it it's easier that way. Why would he not be? Uh, even though he's part of the movement to fight the Yerks, why would you not be a voluntary host to all of them in uh, appearances? You know? Sure, yeah. Um I don't I don't quite know I'm how saying it Mr. works Tidwell out. But... is joining them on the couch and we've always seen those people as dirt bags. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's what the the book portrays them as. They're they're over there laughing, having a good time while everybody else is suffering. And Although I'd say I think you're... there would be people like Mr. Tidwell who would be sitting more somberly, more rosely in the corner, not necessarily enjoying their sure. their lot. But I think they're still right. If you're not if you're not like Mr. Tidwell and part of the um, Yerk peace movement, if you're just a guy who is depressed and gave up his life to Yerks and it's working out for you, the fact that you're sitting there watching a TV show while people are screaming and being hurt and enslaved, yeah, you're still a dirtbag. Uh, I do agree with them still on that. But someone like yeah, Mr. Tidwell, but at who's the same time, it's, it's, it. there's nothing you could necessarily do at that point. That's you, the. <laughs> That's the line of thinking that lets authoritarian governments take over. 
There's always something you could do, even if it's no. You know, you're you're totally right. He could get himself killed. Yeah, he, even he if could. It's fruitless, there's still <laughs> it's still worth trying. He for. wants to try and make a break for it. Let it's him. More, I mean. It's more important to get that message across now than ever. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totes. Um, you Totes. know, I thought a trip to the um, the Yerk Pool would be uh, more terrifying of a situation, but as soon as they get down there, things go pretty well, and Cassie uh, makes her way out of Mr. Tidwell's body and into the Yerk Pool, and uh, she's she's even pretty quickly able to locate... You know where the little cage that Afton's holding her. Uh, yeah, we learn about the Yerks. Um, we learn about the Yerks uh, sonar. Yeah, yeah, how they move around inside their pool and. Although there's, I think there's still some confusion over how they find the right host when they're at the pier, when they're going back in, and how much they can actually see. I'm but sure they have a way of transponding some kind of uh, uh, message on a schedule, you know, like this is yeah, this is Yerk number so-and-so-and-so's. Just technology-wise, yeah, they, they probably have something worked out. They, they might vibrate the water a certain amount of times, and then whoever's Yerk is up just knows or whatever. Who knows? Yeah. We didn't get that specific detail <laughs> out of this I want to know it all. Yeah, yeah, please give us the, uh, the Yerk uh, feeding... Uh, schedule handbook wanna, that they yeah, I wanna know the, I wanna <laughs> hand know out the to bu- all the hosts. I want to know the bureaucratic aspects of the Yurk Empire. Um, that's that's what I'm most interested in. Yeah, like a training manual. They should make a training manual for cadet Yurks. <laughs> I got I got the name for it. It's it's like the book from Beetlejuice that they get when they're dead. It's called "So You've Been Enslaved." <laughs> a handbook for the Yurk Empire. Uh, it'd be more like "So You've Been Given a Body." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, and it's written like really like now try not to get your body killed or maimed. <laughs> Those things don't grow back. It's like a like a portal humor, <laughs> you know. You got to think about that. This is a tangent, but you got to think about that. How much yurks have to learn about humans? Like just think of we were born as humans. We've grown up as humans. We've gone to school, we've taken health class. Think of a yurk, you know, shooting across the stars, being thrown into the yurk pool gets his first human host and it's like okay this works like this your fingers do this this is for that and now um, kill everything <laughs> oh well never mind that's not true because they can they have the memories of the host body so they they know all that oh and yeah so, exactly but still they they only get access to these great human bodies and they only get uh you know they only get to experience any kind of joy uh with the stipulation that they fight for the Yurk Empire and and try to take everything over, and then they ruin what makes their you know host bodies uh, natural habitats uh, so desirable in the first place. It is interesting that basically their citizenship is their soldiers because to get a host body you have to yeah you have to have a role you have to do all of this and uh, it's all military the whole the whole civilization is military based so. Um, to to gain citizenship to be to be a host you have to join the war, um, which is obviously why some some Yorks have a problem with it. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's you know I'm sure there's so much politics we could talk about inside the Yerk pool going on, but before Cassie's able to like do anything of of value, uh, Aftran is 
scooped out like with a ladle and <laughs> taken to the visitor <laughs> for interrogation. <laughs> and, yeah. and Cassie somehow manages to find her way into another host body, which uh, it was pretty cool, I guess. So, so this is my cop out, out. Try out multiple bodies. This is my cop out I was talking about. Um, this, I think, is the most unrealistic part of the scene of the book. And I think it actually hurts the ending a little bit, this whole part right here. Um, this whole thing with Aftran is wrapped up a little too neatly with her rescuing her and her getting out of the Yurk pool. Um, she basically stands toe-to-toe as a human with Vizzer 3. And he's, like, bamboozled by her. I mean, he's, like, <laughs> she's, like, fighting him and then gets away. When we're told these Andalites can, you know, within a half, a half, a half, a millisecond, uh, their their tail can, you know, kill someone instantly. That's I, I don't care how surprised he is. I don't care how the book describes how unruly this was. Visitor 3 does not mess around, and he's not easily distracted. Well, well, yeah, dude, he, he was taken by surprise here um and i think That's it not makes good i think it makes total sense because even if uh, he's surprised he's, 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 he's actually he's, listen he's actually physically attacked by her uh no no no, no. she just kind of shoves him out of the way and totally surprises him no and gets the upper hand there vision um, three is a and, is, and it makes total buffoon. sense listen, because listen. no you listen to me because you've been talking so <laughs> he, he it makes total sense because He's at home, okay? He he doesn't think that he's in his element, uh, that anything can surprise him, and he mostly expects the Andalite bandits to be in these wild earth animal battle morphs, okay? He's not expecting a lowly little human, less of all uh, one that, you know, clearly is uh, one of their documented, cataloged uh, host bodies, um, to be the ones to attack him. And and he certainly wouldn't expect the Andalites to use a human morph to attack him when he's in his uh, Visor 3 Andalite See, body. Uh, so it, it makes sense. It makes sense that he'd be no, 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 taken off, with you. off guard there. I disagree with you on two points of that. A, I think the Visor does not feel safe anywhere. I think at this point in the series, he is, and we've seen this in this very book, he is paranoid at every moment that the Andalite bandits are going to pop out of nowhere. He's paranoid of animals. He has not, at this point, showed any paranoia around humans. No, no. He's paranoid in general. And secondly, I think someone with the demeanor and the reactions we've seen from Visitor 3, if he got bumped in the hallway, they might lose a head. So someone actively using force against him, they're dead in seconds. And all the Horkbajir standing around with Dracon beams, all the humans standing around... Come on! See I, I the way the way is... I imagined it is like she bumped him so hard that he took like a, a compulsory step back, and like one of his hind legs went in the yerk pool, and he was like struggling to pull himself back up. <laughs> like basically, it, Chevy it, it Chase. It made sense. It made total sense in my in my imagination. Chevy uh, Chase in uh, the Vacation movies is what. Dude, you're you got to imagine or you got to remember though that Visor while being able to pull off some pretty badass morphs, that's really all he's got going for him because he's demonstrated time and time again he's kind of an idiot. Uh, his affinity for cats has defeated him on numerous <laughs> occasions. Uh, uh, he, he wasn't able to adequately master 
containment box technology uh, foiled again there because well, of anyway, that. Anyway, I mean, this this whole thing, her, I mean, I like her leaping into the yurt pool, you know, going Osprey and trying to get out of there. But I think I think this whole part wraps up this mission a little too quickly. <clears throat> you know what? Uh, normally, I'd agree with you, but I, I really dug this uh, particular scene because... By all means, by all accounts, she should not be able to get out of the yerk pool here. I mean, she's surrounded by, like you said, the hunter robots, fucking visitors there. Uh, he's about to go into, well, he does go into his badass morph. Um, it's, it's a really tense scene where you you expect that she should not make it out. And she's not going to make it out. Uh, Vizzer's in this, like, stinging, tentacly kind of morph. And he's, like, repeatedly stinging her, her over and over again. And she's got controllers, like, you know, shooting at her and stuff. Um, and then the hunter robots come. And, uh, uh, well, the way that she dispatches those is kind of ridiculous in that uh, she just covers them in poop, and that their their one weakness is their sensor. They're like little but that's what I'm video saying. This, <laughs> camera. Once sensor. she goes, I could almost buy everything up till her going to Osprey Morph and getting out of there, because once she's out and just flying the hunter-killer robots, which are made, basically, to take out uh, birds flying around in there and and things, you know, getting out that way, all of the thousands of Yerks in there, probably tons of them with Dracon beams, Visitors morph, all this stuff. Like, I needed one more gimmick. I needed one more clever idea. And then Krayak showed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I needed something, like something going wrong on the Yerk side, some piece of construction equipment falling over, or her figuring something out. I just thought it was literally her flying from point A to B. Oh, dude, it would have been, it would have been sick as shit. If like, you know, it seemed like, uh, she's about to die there. And then, uh, one of the construction, like, uh, cranes swung over and like smacked the visor and the robots and everything. And, uh, Cassie looked back and, uh, Tidwell's up in the crane, like giving a thumbs up. (laughs) That would have been great. And then he like shoots himself in the head so that he can't be taken. (laughs) No, no, we love Tidwell. I love Tidwell too, but the, hashtag we the, love Tidwell. But the whole point of getting Aftran out of there is so they don't know someone with the Yerk Peace Movement can be captured and interrogated. If you get Tidwell, you you lose that again. He, he escapes, <laughs> damn it! <laughs> and then leaves. He's leaves going to be life. a recurring character. I hope he shows up in the next book to give them their next mission instead of Eric. I, I hope he becomes an animorph. Fifty-year-old <laughs> <laughs> man. Tidwell for animorphs. With a, with a yerk in his head. Hey, uh, <laughs> I kind of like the idea of one of the team members uh, having a yerk in his head. So do that. So do I. We should incorporate that into our sequel series. Oh, wait, we already have. Boom. <laughs> uh, just shush. Um, no, never. Every episode. <laughs> uh, moving on. They're, they're, like we said, you know, this thing wraps up pretty quick because, you know, we've only got like two more scenes really to get through. Um, she, she makes it against all odds out of the Yerk pool. Um, very tense, very dramatic by all accounts, impossible, but by gum it, Cassie's done it. I do love that, that this really messes with the normal Animorphs, uh, format in that after the big mission, it's not over. We've got something even more desperate to get to. And oh yeah. It's the best scene in the book. Easily. The, the climaxiest of climaxes. Yeah, yeah. And, and here is where I thought, 
the book could have done some kind of cop out. Um, I, I don't know what, like maybe he was able to like poop out the virus or something. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, but they actually go through with an alien brain surgery from, from a, this 14 year old girl. And, and she, she does it flawlessly. <laughs> yeah. It's written. It's written incredibly scary. I mean, it, at one point she just wants to run away just so she doesn't have to deal with it. I think that's pretty realistic um, teenager writing and, and describing every step of it, the whole having to use Aftran uh, in Axe's head to help her out. This is a great scene. This is a really great scene. Eric just kind of like giving her the thumbs up from the corner and helping whenever he can. And just... <laughs> She's not doing a whole lot other than like lifting Axe up for her. Oh, sorry. Am I just keeping my futuristic hologram uh, running 24-7? That's not good enough? Well, you Uh, know, Eric's hologram service is available 24 hours a day. (laughs) Uh, But no, it's it's a really great scene. Needs to be read. It's not even even worth us describing because it's her terror and Axe's life genuinely feeling like it's on the line, uh, even though he's a main character. I, I just thought it was great great scene and and push no, it, it was new, so new awesome levels. and like i said when i when i read the back of the book and and i hear about this oh somebody's got uh, something wrong with their head um you know i i immediately think that the series is gonna find a way to not make that happen but so surprised that they went through and and portrayed a you know surgery in what should be a grade school's Grade school level book here. I mean, if you wanted to nitpick, I would say it's a little bit of a cop out, or not cop out, but it's coincidence that the one animorph that doesn't get sick is the one that has any kind of medical experience. Oh, absolutely, because you know, if it had been any other animorph doing it, it would have failed a hundred percent. Yeah, like most of them wouldn't even gone through with it or even tried. Uh, she's the only one who could have even stepped up. So, you know, again, tiny little nitpick. Uh, Elmas did it. <laughs> Krayak, uh, it, that was a that was a wager between the two of them. Uh, Krayak was like, "Okay, I'm gonna make your team sick," and then Elmas was like, "Okay, everyone except for one." <laughs> okay. <yeah. laughs> uh, so this scene does wrap up though with um, so they it's successful. Axe wakes up and freaks the f out oh this is awesome i i I know and this is probably the best part of the book is the way that this now changes uh the dynamic and the friendship between cassie and axe because you gotta imagine uh uh he's not gonna be able to forgive her so easily for allowing a yerk to to, to be inside his head think think about this war between the yerks and the andalites and how in that entire span of time, which is decades now they've been fighting. Um, in that whole time with all the battles and hand-to-hand combat or ships exploding or being captured, only one Andalite has ever been taken by Yerk. That shows the level of commitment they have uh, to making sure that they never become hosts. So the fact that Axe is now the first to become the second Andalite to take a yerk in his head. Um, <laughs> to that's got to be dishonor among dishonor and, and tear and disgust. And well, yeah. And, he, and you also got says he'd rather be dead. He'd rather, she'd killed him. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, 
so you know he's he's got these deep racist tendencies um that he can't see the obvious good to come of it as that you know because of this he was able to live and i i really hope they explore this dynamic more um and i love that you know they were all still processing the fact that cassie is talking about this yerk peace movement like it's a thing that they can just trust um there's even a great line uh where they they hint at uh even Rachel being um upset with her about this. Oh man, I want to find yeah. this quote too. You should you should talk while I look for this. Okay. I well, I can talk about that. the I can talk about the Aftran thing. Uh so Aftran, this is great because it's a callback to the book 19 where we meet Aftran. Uh once she gets out, she realizes she can't go back to the air pool and she asks Cassie to kill her. This is not the first time this has happened, so it's a it's a great uh, homage to that first book um, where they meet and, and everything. And with this, Cassie has to make a decision. What are we going to do? And I actually thought for a second, are we going to have a David sequel here? Are they going to make a Yerk into an Animorph? Um, but luckily, they come to their, even though she's peaceful and she's changed and they totally believe her, uh, they do come to a good agreement, which is has echoes of how the series ends. If you've read the series, I hope, I hope that you've read all the way through. Um, but it's a great start to the idea that, Hey, these jerks can't see. They have no, um, senses that they, you know, think is wonderful. That's why they take those in the first time in the first place. And we can give them morphing ability and make sure they stick in their morphs and, uh, you know, kind of solves everything. So that's oh. what they do with Aftran. Okay, here we go. So this this totally it. this totally calls back to um, the events that happened in the departure with uh, Cassie, you know, making the brash decision to pop one of these yurks into her head, basically, and give a yurk one of their enemies all of their information. You know, she did that without any of the team's uh, uh, input on it, and I I love the fact that some of them are hiding resentments about that. And, and in this passage here, I believe it shows, even from Rachel, her supposed best friend. Um, so this is Rachel's bit of dialogue. Uh, Probably it is a trap, but we still have to go, Rachel said. Because if Tidwell or Ilum or whoever is telling the truth, we're dead meat. Aftran will crack when the visitor interrogates her. And she knows everything about us. Everything. Right, Cassie? She said acidly, looking angrily at me. Okay, motherfucker, she she looked acidly and angrily in that statement. That's her best friend, and that's how she acts and looks at her. Exactly. That, that means something. And and, and it, to, to Cassie's credit, she says, I met her gaze without blinking. My voice was steady. That's right, I answered. So she clearly understands that she did the right thing, even and if her this, friends don't quite understand what happened. So it's crazy that this was ghostwritten. Um, I'm sure there's an outline by Kay, Kay Applegate and Michael Grant. But um, it's crazy how many echoes of the end of the series are in these books because there's a – I don't know if you've read the ghostwritten books leading up to the final books, but Cassie does something that loses all the trust of the entire team. Yeah, yeah, and, I, I've, uh, yeah the last ten or so. Um, yeah. We don't need to talk about it here, but uh, yeah, no, Cassie is by far – uh, one of the characters that could have been one of the least interesting, but they decided to go and make her one of the most interesting. And that's coming from us, who from book one through like 17, we hated Cassie. 
So oh, we we poo poo on Cassie a lot, but uh, uh, don't misunderstand. We we understand uh, her purpose in the story, her character. We know her character better than uh, uh, most of the casuals. The casuals. <laughs> she so. she is easily one of the most important and, like you said, interesting animorphs. So. And this, uh, this would, book I would perfectly, not, not in my it. opinion, uh, uh, cements that. If you were ever going to read a Cassie book, I think this is the best example of Cassie by far today. Oh, but I think I think you'd have to read it as a double feature uh, with book 19. That's what makes it even better. True, true. Although after reading, uh, reading uh, listening to our review of uh, The Departure, do you remember what we gave that? No. What, what did we give it? You don't remember what you gave The Departure? Uh, probably either a four out of five or five out of five. Yeah, you were a five. You were a five. Yeah. I, on the other hand, I think had the more unpopular opinion of a three out of five. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think the departure is incredibly important, and I mean, I I think the only thing you can really ding the departure for is the freaking jaguar subplot. But <laughs> it just um, kept appearing. But I, I, I think the plot needed it. But I loved that, and it has so many shades of so many TV shows and movies throughout the years. I mean, do you remember the Rugrats movie had that same subplot? Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, you want to put you... kids in danger? Throw a jaguar into a temperate climate. Uh, it, it was very cool, and it, we even got to see Marco play a little bit of an antagonist at one point in that book. So Yeah, it was great. Uh, but was no, no, so, go, go listen so, to our review of The Departure, kids. Yeah, exactly. Um but no, no. So they they wrap up the whole Afghan thing with letting her. You you got in your notes that you they let her take a dolphin morph. It's a, a humpback whale, um, sir. So you need to get your facts straight. No, I thought they gave her a dolphin. Nope, they give her a humpback whale. Well, that blows my mind because are you, are you checking I was now? Pretty sure. You best believe I've got my book open in front of me. Um, wait a minute. Is this? Uh, oh no, that's the re- preview of the next book. Um, uh, the, we turned. A, I scanned the ocean and spotted a foamy spot. The water broke over a massive fin. Shit! Then a, then humpback, a humpback whale, whale leaped. leaped. Okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> nice. Why wouldn't they give her a dolphin? That's humpback whale. Well, I mean, humpback whale. She can. It. There's a community there, and there's intelligence there. I think that's the more important part. Sure. Uh, dolphins sure. are super intelligent too, but humpback whales can sing to each other. You know. If you were gonna a have a. Life at sea, though, I think the fun dolphin life might be the better option. Yeah, but humpback whales probably live longer. Uh, they don't have any natural predators, really. I mean, it's not You know, bad. that's really the, the ultimate solution there, is to give all yurks humpback morphs to stay that's in. basically what they do at the end of the series, just not humpback specifically. Um, <laughs> well, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's the Cool fact way. about... Cool fact. Um, so humpback whales are awesome, and I've always loved them, uh, mostly because of Star Trek IV, the uh, voyage home. Do you ever see that one with the whales? Oh, where they have of to course. go back 1980 San Francisco and save the whales. Um, so <laughs> exciting stuff. Exciting stuff. In uh, two weeks' time, we're going on our honeymoon to Hawaii. And uh, one of the reasons we're going in December or January is so that we can see humpback whales. They're everywhere there. Um you can go like out in a canoe and they'll swim up to you and stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, I can't wait to go with you. It's going to be great. <laughs> what? You said we. <laughs> My wife and I. Uh, are you, are you, well, that's, that's news awesome. to me. <laughs> Jared, pack. I, I don't need to pack. 
I live in Minnesota right now. I, nothing I own could help me prepare me for for what is in Hawaii. You understand I, that uh, my car just died uh, like three days in a row because of cold weather. Wow. And I had to replace all of my tires recently because they were balding and double over the mileage that I was supposed to have uh, driven them. That's crazy. Uh, anyway, let's go back to this book. Uh, let's go. No, to we have to talk about my winter travel problems. Uh, <laughs> I'm having the same thing. I've, I have to basically buy a whole new set of outfits just for Hawaii. So, right? Uh, yeah. You'd think okay. living in Texas, I'd have things that would be applicable, but it doesn't doesn't translate. <laughs> um, I, I also just I dug the fact that this book, um, you know, it started out really lighthearted with the kids at a dance. And then it got really, really heavy and depressing, and it seemed like all hope was lost. <clears throat> Bless you. And then I sneeze. <laughs> well, go go right into your review. Let's hear and it. The, and then, uh, no, I just want to say that it ends with them, you know, and this is kind of cool because it, it almost seems like it's going to be a depressing little happy ending here, but uh, uh, it, they reveal that Aftrin's not dead, she's just in morph. Um, and, and everything's cool. And the idea that they would um, use the uh, the morph box that allow this technology to be used um, in this way is uh, something that we haven't seen. Yeah, that's a big step for them because uh, David taught them a lot about you letting someone else use the blue box. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to see more of that from what I know very slightly about the ghostwritten books. Uh, they definitely start using it more and more, and it becomes a huge plot uh, MacGuffin later on. Oh, it's going to be so sweet. And then, you know, they the series may have benefited um, from maybe taking advantage of this a little bit more, uh, but, you know, I, I haven't read a lot of these ghostwritten from the books. Sound of things, from the sound of things, they, they use it often towards the end of the series. So we'll see. But uh, let's jump into our reviews. Do you want to go first? Uh, mine's mine's going to be pretty brief. Is it now? So, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mine might be brief too. Um, maybe you could tell. Maybe you haven't. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed this book. Uh, like I said, I didn't know how they would manage to top the experiment. And I even gave that one a four as you gave it a five. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I really, really enjoyed that one. Axe's perspective is really unique, and, and it's always fun. Um, but in the end, I think that one just, it was it was a fun book, and that's it. This one is fun in a completely different way in that it gives us something kind of uniquely different. Uh, we, we get so much uh, what I would call good character development from Cassie just in the different kinds of dilemmas that she faces uh, besides the, uh, that the other team members don't really go through. Um, she's the one that's connected to this Yerk peace movement and the others are kind of resentful of that. Maybe not trusting in that um, quite yet. And it's really cool that we get this angle on that from Cassie. Um, so it's really cool that they're advancing that plot line still. Uh, just the Yerk Peace movement in general is like something that, again, they could devote an entire book to, uh, like the Controller Chronicles or something. That'd be freaking sweet. I want that book. Um, the the Eel Morph Water Slide Joyride subplot, 
Um, as as dumb as it was, I think it's cool. I think it's still essential that they show these kids can have dumb ideas that just go nowhere um, because they they tend to get really lucky on a lot of things and we call them out as coincidences when things work out when they shouldn't. Um, and this book says no more of that. This is a dumb thing and the kids are just not going to have any luck with it. <laughs> They're going to almost die. Um, so it was a fun scene despite not going anywhere. Um, it, it still contributed to making everything feel very tense. Um, I, I loved the, uh, new character introductions for Ilum and Mr. Tidwell. Uh, I'd love to see them return, uh, working more with the, the Yerk peace movement. Hey, they could be the stars of that. Uh, the controller Chronicles book. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I would take that. I would read that book. Um, I'd sleep with it in my bed. Um, if we get, we get some information on Andalite diseases like Yumfoot, the Yumfoot disease. Um, and, and you know, Andalite biology, physiology, tree glands and exploding bacterials. And, uh, I just, I really dug the whole alien brain surgery subplot. I think that was a really good idea. Whoever, uh, whether it was, you know, one of the Apple Gates or someone in one of their little scholastic meetings that pitched like alien brain surgery as a topic, but I'm glad they did it. Glad they ran with it. So cool to see <clears throat> Yerk morph happen. Um, I don't know. There's not much else to say about that. It was just super interesting all around. Um, so you, basically I enjoyed this book a hell of a lot more, certainly more than I ever thought I would. Um, this is a book that I'm going to probably remember for quite a while. And, and honestly, I would say you should read it. If you're looking for just a good standalone, uh, Animorphs adventure, this one is, is totally worth your while. It's fun. Uh, it's, it's very tense it's an excellent example of how even one of the lamer characters can be really cool and interesting and uh, fun. And um, it makes me super excited to see more of what can become of Cassie and uh, the rest of her subplots with the team, you know, kind of harboring these feelings of resentment towards her and some of her actions, um, seeing what happens and develops with the Yerk peace movement. Uh, I just wanted to point out real quick that in the, 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 review of the departure you were super confident that Aftrin came back like five more times in the series and was a really important character but what it seems to happen here at the end would imply that you were in fact wrong and i think we've seen the last of Aftrin. you don't know that she <laughs> could be really important in humback whale morph they go in the ocean all the time okay maybe maybe sure uh i, I guess they could go talk she's to gonna whale. She's going to show up nothing in that, that dumb, they haven't already done. She's going to show up in the, up in that dumb uh and Atlantis book and you're going to eat your words. Also, here's a crazy plot for you. Time travel is a big part of the series. So, boom, the whale they talked to in book number 3, Atran. Oh, jeez. Not book number 3, 4, book number 4. Whatever book it was, and they didn't really talk to it per se. It just kind of like gave them psychic fish feelings. Yeah, because it would break the space-time continuum if she revealed herself at that early stage. Yeah, okay. The point that I'm getting here... She is, went back in time as a humpback whale in a clean bird of prey. My review for the book <laughs> is as follows. Sir, uh, I give this, hear ye, hear ye, book number 29, The Sickness, gets five out of five exploding tree glands. Ooh, what? Ooh, 
You don't you don't give out fives too often, and I, I don't believe I do either. But it's always nice to hear you go crazy for a book. Um, it was a fun one. So yeah, I it, enjoyed it reading is. it. It's good. I mean, I I have to agree with you. This is a great book. I enjoyed every part of it. I love every scene of it. Tear uh, it apart, my friend. No, I I think the writing is Finish. on par, on par with the uh, with the last book, which I really thought. I mean, the last book was a little more clever and like it's puns at the end of chapters and stuff but uh this is a well-written book um i'm thoroughly invested in the plot makes cassie a better character all around great book i do have to ding it though even though it's crazy important to the series and i I would definitely put it up there um with some of the better ones i i don't like how the aftran rescues wrapped up i don't and that's a big enough deal uh going into the york pool should be a big deal it should be something that is difficult it should be something going toe-to-toe with visitor three should be scary not you know crazy like you said chevy chase antics of buffoonery and uh sometimes he is that way but i thought so much of this yerk pool escape didn't work for me or i just thought it needed a little more a little more meat on them bones and i would have bought it hook line and sinker and the scene right after that is amazing one of the best scenes in the whole series but because of the main mission of the book, not, you know, wrapping up in a um, successful or um, relieving way, I, I have to say uh, I give this four out of five version 2.0 Gleep Biofilters. Um, still love the book. This is necessary reading, but I think it could have I think it could have wrapped up a little better. Uh, certainly. I mean, yeah, the, these things are always going to tend to wrap up a little quickly, um, just because of the pacing and the nature of these things. It might have been because of how good the rest of the book is that I was more so disappointed with that scene. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you why I liked it, and when I was reading it, I wasn't questioning it and going, this is BS, um, because it really made me like Cassie more, honestly, seeing her endure all this pain, you know, Vizzer's stinging her in his morph and, you know, she's desperately dodging Draken beams and stuff flying at her and the hunter drones are, are a huge threat f- zooming around and, uh, it, it just, it, when you see a character like persevering through what seems like impossible odds, those are cool moments. And I saw it as a very cinematic, very dramatic moment. And, you know, probably the kind of thing that if it were, uh, uh, you know, on TV, uh, maybe you have a lot of slow-mo in it, you know, just kind of, kind of show the gravity of the situation a little bit, you know, while I agree with you on that, Zack Snyder, it, while I agree with you on that, uh, they ended it with a poop joke. So that kind of took away from the scene a little well, bit. Well, I will, I will say that uh, as stupid as that was, um, it was a little foreshadowed because in the very beginning of the book, when uh, Cassie was talking about what they do and morphing, and she's talking about the birds in her place, she mentioned birds pooping. So I, to- totally, true. totally foreshadowed. That's true. I, I'll give you that. <laughs> but I, my, my review still stands four out of five, which is, which is great for a great book. I mean, that's not bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, everyone needs to read this one. And, um, I would definitely say they need to read the book coming up next because I am thoroughly excited for it. 
the next well the next one that we're going to review which is not yes. to say it's not the uh, next book that's well, canonically in the well, series. No, no 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 they are canonically in the series cuz they're all the megamorphs books besides i think the last one are mentioned in other books so they are canonically chronologically in the series sure but i'm i'm saying we're not reading book number 30 yes we are reading megamorphs we are putting the reunion three. on hold because we need to take a little break from megamorphs 3 Elfengor's Secret. Mm-hmm. A great, great book. Um, and oh, just, just tell them what we feel about it. Just tell them. <laughs> no, it's you can't hide it. It's, it's time travel. It's horrifying deaths. It's everything we love it's about history. it. It's history. Uh, it's very. I, I love it's it. a very uh, Doctor Who-y kind of yeah. uh, uh, book. In the proud tradition of Thought Speak, uh, we're gonna have a guest join us. Uh, which we've already picked out. He's uh, he's someone who I actually host another podcast with, and he's a longtime Hanamorphs fan, at least since college. Uh, <laughs> so he's as far gonna, as we know, as far as we know, he's probably read some of the books. Uh, no, he's definitely read a bunch of the books. So that's actually new for our guests on the Megamorphs episodes because my wife was the guest in the last one. And uh, uh, Nate, Nate, Nate was had a guest never on the read any one. of the books until we yeah. dragged him into this. Yeah, my wife definitely hadn't either. So, um, so yeah, it's exciting. It's going to be good stuff. We're going to have a guest, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, definitely excited to read the book and jump into it again. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, I, I've actually only read this one, I think, once. And uh, now that I know exactly what it's about and where it goes and what it does, I'm going to be really interested in getting back into it again and going through it one more time. <laughs> I read all the Megamorphs books quite a few times. I think the one I read the least was probably the first one. Um, two is great, just, you know, dinosaurs. But three and four, I mean, those are so They got of a special place in your heart, series. don't they? Um, they, they absolutely do. So we'll, we'll do the battle. Maybe we'll do in the last episode just a battle royale of which is the best Megamorphs book or something. Uh, but in the meantime, um, yeah excited for the next episode and excited for the next book so you've uh you've enjoyed us here and i hope that you've enjoyed us enough that you could take just five minutes to jump on itunes and leave us a review we desperately need those we're getting back in the game we're trying to put out episodes a lot quicker and it, it really helps motivate us it really makes us want to come back in just a week or two and record a new episode for you when we see those, you know, reviews jump up on our iTunes. We don't have a Patreon. We're not asking for your money, but you know, those reviews help us get out to more people. It helps us, um, you know, just gives us energy to want to continue doing the series and in a, um, quicker manner than we have in sometimes in the past so we appreciate anything you do on there also we're on stitcher uh pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast we're on there you know jump on our facebook or our twitter uh which i'm pretty active on and you're you're pretty active with our facebook pretty much right mitch yeah i i tend to uh get bored and browse the internet a lot and i uh <laughs> post through the uh, facebook whenever i see anything kind of animal related um and i don't really know what people want to see uh, I just kind of feel like being an Animorphs podcast, uh, posting animal-related things, uh, seems to be the most enjoyable, at least for me. Um, I guess I could post more sci-fi kind of news and stuff, but yeah. I, I figure people get those from other sources. Um, I like being kind of more random with my 
my posts. I enjoy. What I, find. I enjoy your Facebook posts on there. I, I like them. Um, but I would also challenge people to to jump on the um, Animorphs subreddit on Reddit r slash uh, Animorphs. If you've never been to Reddit before, it's reddit.com slash r slash Animorphs. Um, I'd love to see more conversation on there, talking about the book series and and you know different elements of the universe and stuff. I think things like that, like the subreddit becoming more popular and more posts happening is the kind of thing that's really going to, you know, help the series in the long run and help this series maybe make a comeback. Um, a lot of discussion on there is like, Hey, I found this beanie with this thing on it that I had when I, you know, the animals were first running or, um, you know, just talking about very random. <laughs> sure. Topics. Sure. Yeah. I, I do see some really good, uh, threads on there though. Um, one of my favorites, that, uh, that's been posted over the past couple of weeks was uh, somebody wondering if perhaps maybe Donald Trump was a controller <laughs> based on his insistence to stay within the Trump Tower confines. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a congener array at the top of it, so that's how you go. Could be. Um, be. But the point is, yeah, I mean, we need to become a more active community, and we're on there. We're trying to do our part. We're, we're wanting to bring this podcast back into its former and previous and current glory <laughs> oh my god okay make thoughts be great again yeah whatever <laughs> exactly anyway uh great episode i've really enjoyed talking about the sickness can't wait for the next one uh i've been oh, I, I, i've been down with the sickness oh i know sure. i know you have been Ooh, <laughs> nice try <laughs> anyway i've been coleman and i uh, have been and still am mitchell <laughs> Uh, have a good one, everybody.